Welcome back to another episode of Nearly Verified. It feels pretty corny to um, go out and say this, but this episode literally changed my life. Just about five months ago, I got to interview Swish Goswami, who is one of the co-founders and the CEO of a company called TrueFan. So a bit about them, TrueFan is a tech startup in Toronto that helps brands generate, segment, and activate first and third party data. So this would be information you get directly from your followers, whether it's, you know, your email, phone number, mailing address, and then also the data that they're providing to you through Instagram or Twitter based on their activity and how they're engaging with you. So, you know, brands would come to TrueFan asking them to learn more about, you know, their audience, uh, their customers, their true fans, quote unquote, and then TrueFan would provide them with some reporting and uh, some information on that. So back to the episode. Swish and I dive into entrepreneurship, leadership, basketball, mental health, amongst a ton of other topics. It was such a genuine and engaging convo, and uh, I'm just really, really glad that I got the hour to chat with them. So at the time of this interview, which was start of um, May 2021, I had a full-time job already lined up. Uh, I was finishing my undergrad, coming into the summer, but this conversation changed things around for me a lot. Crazy enough, after the interview, after we did the podcast interview, uh, Switch asked me what I was doing after school. And then he also let me know that he was going to be launching a consumer product under TrueFan, and this would be called Surf. So the browser extension Surf rewards you for surfing the web, just browsing. Um, And he needed to start assembling a team for the launch, which was coming up in September at the time. So after a couple rounds of interviews, I went ahead and rescinded my initial offer uh, and came to work with Swish and the team here at TrueFan in the summer, which was about four or five months ago. So fast forward to now, it is October. Uh, I'm now working full-time as a product owner and it has easily, easily been the best decision I ever made. So to Swish, I wanna thank you A, for coming on the show in the first place and B, uh, for giving me a shot at a career in tech with such an incredible company. This team is so talented and driven But more importantly, they are just a genuine, kind group of people. And I love to come to work every day and uh, and get to build surf with them. So I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. I'm really excited to get back into the swing of things with interviewing coming into the tail end of 2021. And um, yeah, let's see how this goes. Thanks. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Nearly Verified. My name is Matt Baglisi, and I am stoked to have Swish Goswami, who is a serial entrepreneur, fantastic public speaker, investor in many companies such as FaZe, which I thought was super cool. Um, above all, uh, Swish, you seem like a super genuine guy, and your energy is infectious, so I'm really glad to have you on the show today. Thanks for having me. Very excited. Amazing. So I think we'll jump right into where you're at right now in your career journey. Uh, You're the founder of TrueFan. And I was listening to a podcast you're on and you had mentioned this idea came about when Chris Paul's agent called you. I'm like the coolest way for a business idea to come about. (laughs) (laughs) Um, He he had asked um, if there's a tool to figure out who Chris's most engaged followers were. Um, so my question for you is, what is TrueFan at a high level? And then what has it meant for you to build this business at such a young age? Sure. No, I uh, love that question. I mean, TrueFan has definitely evolved over the last three and a half years of building it. 
Um, in our first year, we wanted to build a simple platform to help any brand or influencer find their top fans on Instagram and Twitter. That's it. Your most influential, your most engaged followers, we would show it to you, we would rank it, we'd allow you to filter that audience and basically be able to identify who are your top fans. In our second year, uh, a lot of our brand partners came up and said, hey, we love the tool, but we want to be able to find our competitors' top fans. So Nike wanted to look at Adidas, Coke wanted to look at Pepsi. We built functionality for that as well. And to date now, we actually have over 10 million audience reports in our audience library so that Nike can look at Pepsi, but they could also look at Nestle. And you have a bunch of really popular accounts, both on Instagram and Twitter, that any user can go through and can take a look at their followers. Um, and then in our third year, especially like last year, late last year, we realized that third-party data was probably declining. You know, you have ad blockers that are rising every year. You have GDPR and CCPA's privacy regulation that is tearing advertisers apart. Like, you know, case in point, three years ago, you could advertise to people's gender. Now you can't. Three years ago, you were able to advertise to people's age. That, I think, actually might go away in the next few months. And then we also saw issues with, you know, obviously this whole issue of third-party cookies going away and Apple's iOS update coming out too. So we felt like the future is likely going to be around first-party data, information that brands collect directly from their customers. But the main issue that we saw was that a lot of brands really had a hard time generating that data in a compliant and high-quality way. So we decided to tack on another kind of feature within our product, which was around first-party data generation. So kind of to sum up that longer story, today we're an audience engagement platform. We help brands generate, segment, and activate first and third-party data, the information that you directly get from your followers, whether it's an email, phone number, or mailing address, and the data that they're providing to you through Instagram or Twitter based on their activity and how they're engaging with you. So very excited to obviously be able to build a tool that hopefully is going to kind of stand the test of time and is more importantly going to usher a new era in our opinion for how brands can improve their engagement with customers while respecting their customers' right to privacy and in my opinion, the right to compensation to some degree as well. Absolutely. And I think it's fascinating too. I was doing some research. I think it might've been a Forbes article on on TrueFan, but it was going from, um, I think it might've been like 2019, uh, somewhere around there. The first party data industry was around 6 billion, looking to grow to, I think it was 26 or 25. 26, 26 billion, yep. Which is incredible. Yep. Um, did you know, or did you like see this growth coming your way when you first started TrueFan or was it more about the concept and then kind of built out from there? Definitely, yeah, concept and then built out from there, right? Like, you know, like I mentioned in our first year, we wanted to build a very simple platform. I never would have thought that we would have become a data solution that not only dabbled in Instagram and Twitter data, but also looked at first party data. Um, and a sneak preview, we're actually building our third product now. Uh, and we've kind of kept it under the wraps. It'll be our first consumer product. We're hoping to get it out in September. Um, but we think that that product will redefine the role of people in the data economy. Um, and will be very much an extension of what we built with our first two products, which are products that improve brand engagement while respecting consumers' right to privacy and their right to compensation. So I'm really excited to be able to kind of get that consumer platform out as well by the, by the end of the year. Damn. Well, best of luck with launching that. That's going to be, I'm excited to see what's coming in September. Um, so I guess I'll transition to more leadership in your role within TrueFan. Mm -hmm. So something that mm -hmm. I've been obsessed with is this concept of leadership throughout my degree. And like, uh, I've been on a lot of uh, student-led clubs through my time at Laurier. 
And I've been trying to figure out what it takes to be, you know, an efficient, empathetic, and inspiring leader. So I'm wondering what your approach to leadership is, and then what your goals are with TrueFan as a leader in the company. Yeah, I mean, leadership for me was something that, um, you know, growing up, I felt like was easy for me. Like I was a confident, you know, very kind of outspoken kid. So I wasn't afraid of, you know, leading the pack. I wasn't afraid of putting my voice out there. Um, but I, I think that for me, what I realized is when I became an entrepreneur, you know, just because you come up with a great idea and just because you have an awesome vision doesn't mean you'll necessarily A, find the right people to come along that journey with you. And B, it doesn't necessarily mean that you will have the skills to be able to manage those people. So I do find that, you know, entrepreneurship and management, two separate disciplines that are obviously very much tied to each other. And so for me, over the last three years, I've learned a lot about management. And a lot of what I've learned isn't, you know, coming from books. It's coming mainly just from trial and error, right? It's coming from, well, I, I screwed up a few employee interactions and I learned from them based on the feedback they gave me. Um, I also had some incredible experiences with employees that have grown to leadership positions now. And I can clearly see that the support that I gave them allowed them to do their job better, but more importantly, allowed for them to be an A player within the company. So I guess for me, my leadership style is a little bit more hands-off now. I try to let A players be A players. If I've hired you for a particular role, I will let you go gung-ho and do it in whatever way you want um, because I'm very results-oriented. So if I feel like results aren't being hit, then I'm going to come in and I'm going to sit down with you and figure out what we can do to mitigate that or to be able to do better the next month. But I definitely want people to be able to take ownership of their role and to be able to, you know, kind of fly off a cliff if they want to at whatever speed they want, in whatever direction they want, as long as they have conviction that it's the right thing to do. Um, the second part of my leadership, I think it, it, it comes down to vulnerability. Like every three weeks, we host a session that we previously called the paranoia session. Now we called it a hope, hopes and fear session, which I think is a far better name. Um, and in that session, you know, me, my co-founder, our executives, we all share our vulnerabilities. We share doubts and insecurities that we have about the company, about customer interactions, about, you know, where we think things are going. Um, and I think that's really great because once, you know, employees start to see us open up, they're more likely to open up as well. And you create this culture where people are honest with one another, they're transparent with each other, but they also don't like act like they're on a pedestal. You know, that's the one thing I never wanted to do is I never wanted, you know, for me to kind of be on a pedestal. I, I want to kind of be seen as an equal um, and respected like an equal, but I want to be able to do the same for employees that come in. And that just, by the way, doesn't even apply to employees. It applies to even summer interns, right? We just hired a new batch of summer interns. And, you know, I think I'm, I'm very focused on making sure that they feel like they're an equal part of the company as much as I am. 100%. And I, I think that is, I think that's super cool. The fact that you guys have these conversations that you know bring everyone down to earth everyone on the same level playing field because that's a lot of it i feel like there's a lot of i don't know what the word is um just it, it leaves employees unsettled if they feel like they're on a different level than their management or their man or their boss or mm -hmm. whatever it is um yep. and it, it kind of gives me similar vibes to like the chief heart officer at vayner media where mm -hmm. um they have you know bringing everyone like I said before, down to the same level and bring a level of authenticity to the workplace and vulnerability, like you were saying, which I think is so important. So kudos to yep. you for implementing that. And um, it must be really cool to see, you know, your leadership actually 
um, make an impact with your employees. So I, uh, I give a lot of respect to you and your team for that. No, thank you. And again, I've learned a lot from them directly. So candidly speaking, the leader that I am today, and more importantly, the leader that I'll be tomorrow, um, a big part of that is because of the people that I've learned from, whether it's employees or mentors or advisors or investors. Um, I basically tried to take the last two, three years and just being a sponge, uh, taking both negative and positive feedback in and trying to absorb it and go from there. So I guess this would segue well into um, tying in authenticity into your personal brand. And I'm not sure if it's um, deliberate in terms of, you know, building this personal brand as a byproduct of your businesses or something that you've really felt strongly about. But I was watching one of your speaker spotlight videos and there's a quote that I just want to share with you because I thought it was so cool. Um, and it was these four pillars for brands. And it was collaboration, content, community, and then this X factor. So um, is it fair to assume that part of your X factor for your personal brand, just you in general would be authenticity or just kind of trying to dig into what your X factor is? I mean, for me, I just think it's engagement, which definitely kind of speaks to authenticity as well. Like I, I you know, if you've noticed like on LinkedIn and Instagram, I try to respond to every single message I get. Um, I try to really set aside time each week to talk to new people. Um, and people that I've never met before, I've never heard anything about, but I'm happy to open up my calendar and, you know, for an hour, two hours, three hours a week, speak to people, do podcasts, whatever it is. And the reason I do it is mainly because a, you know, there are a lot of really cool people out there, right? So I'm always excited by new conversations and you never know where one conversation can lead to, but B, I actually just feel like it's important for people not to see me as like a, an avatar or like a profile pic, just sharing content every single day, but as like a, a real human being that they can have an interaction with. It's why in my first year of posting on LinkedIn in 2015, you know, I used to do these five minute calls where like people that commented on my post, I get on a five minute call with them. And normally it wasn't five minutes, it'd be like 10, 15 minutes. It'd be a little bit weird if I'm like, hi, how's it going? And then bye. Um, but, you know, I did these, you know, short calls because I wanted that people should see my next post knowing that they have talked to Swish knowing that they've had an interaction with Swish. Swish knows me, I know him, I understand where he's coming from, I kind of know a little bit about who he is. Um, I think that just changes the way that people interact with you. So it's awesome to see that, you know, people that were still commenting in my post four or five years ago are still commenting today. And I genuinely like enjoy my interactions with them in the comments, which is why, you know, I'm the one that does it. Some people I bet think that I have other people do it. I don't. I'm very obsessed about making sure that like my voice, my thoughts, my appreciation comes directly from me. Um, and that's something that even right now I can manage and I have no issues doing it. Well, uh, for some context, um, for anyone that's listening, the way that I got Swish to chat with me today is he made a post about um, don't like ask people to pick their brain because A, it's weird and B, it's not the most like <laughs> efficient way to do it. Ask to interview them. Everybody loves to talk about themselves. So for someone who's mm -hmm. doing a podcast, you just like set up a T-ball perfectly for me. I sent the, sent the <laughs> post to him. I was like, man, I would love to, uh, to hop on a call because I had chatted with Buster and Troy mm -hmm. Ozanoff, um, yep. both fantastic guys. And they're kind of mm -hmm. sim in similar circles as you. So I thought it, mm -hmm. it made sense. And I'm not going to lie. A lot of people on LinkedIn do just feel like avatars to, you know, just some kid like me who's trying to you know, have these conversations. So the fact that you're so willing to hop on and be like, yeah, hundred percent, like send me your, your info. Um, first of all, thank you. And yeah, second of all, it brings, it brings kind of, you know, the personal brand back down to earth where it's just, you know, another human being having a conversation, which I think is super cool.
Yeah. And again, I mean, I'm not in the business of trying to, to be famous. Um, I think, you know, maybe when I was like 18, 19, I definitely had a goal of like wanting to, to become famous and, and, you know, have a lot of followers and all of that. I think as I've grown up a little bit, um, I've realized my motivations are, are very simple. Like my motivations are mainly around not necessarily being followed by many people, but having an impact on many people, right? And I think there's a difference there. Um, I think the difference there is, you know, you could have millions of followers and really only touch like, you know, 500, 600 people's lives at best. Um, and for me, I'm, I'm, I don't think I, I need to be at a million followers to do that. I think I could do that in other ways as well, which is why, again, I love speaking to new people. I love speaking in general. Um, and I love the business that I'm in because, you know, when I can directly interact with customers, when I can directly interact with my employees and be very involved, um, I think it just makes me feel great that I'm able to actually have some sort of impact in the world. And that's exactly what I'm looking for. And again, I know that's actually what a lot of millennials, a lot of Gen Z uh, people are looking for as well, right? They're looking for some sort of impact in their life. And I, I think in a world that we live in, we glorify fame, but uh, we underplay impact. And I don't think the two go hand in hand always. That's a great quote. I really like that. Um, and yep. I think it, it works really well to have that impact or I guess strive for that impact on a platform like LinkedIn, where mm. it's not kind of like this superficial fame, not necessarily that it has to be on Instagram, but there's a lot more of it on Instagram. Whereas yep. LinkedIn, it opens the door for dialogue, opens the door for like meaningful conversation. And yep. uh, I get like chirped by some of my buddies sometimes because I'm such a LinkedIn nerd. Like I love it. And that's where I like, put most <laughs> yeah. of my time into posting yeah. and, and reaching yeah. out to people. Yeah. Um, but that's where meaningful conversations happen and stuff yep. like this can happen. So um, don't sleep on LinkedIn. I'm just tossing it out there right now. It's, it's a place yep. to be. Yep, totally. And I, I, I mean, I got chirped by my friends. I remember 2015, 2016 as well. You know, these are you know, friendly chirps, right? This is the time where people are like, why aren't you posting on Instagram? Why aren't you on Snapchat? That's where we're all at. What are you posting on LinkedIn for? But again, like you mentioned, it's a, it's a very much of an open field. And I think LinkedIn especially is cool because there's no other platform where I can click into your profile and I can immediately understand what you do uh, and like actually get a pretty good kind of explanation around who you are and where you've come from and where you're studying and what you've studied and all of that, right? On Instagram, I, I just find it to be hard because like if someone's posting like his bio is like, I like to build things. It's like, well, that doesn't help me at all. Like, what do you like building, right? So I, I like LinkedIn because it, it allows for better interaction when I can see your profile and then by being able to see what you like or what you're interested in, I can relate to you in a better way. Yeah. It's a lot easier to yeah. find the commonalities and also just common yeah. goals, whatever it is. Um, yeah. So totally. we're here first, everybody. LinkedIn's the spot to be. Um, mm -hmm. So I guess we'll go into, um, back to TrueFan for a second. So I had a question on um, funding and I'm sure you get yep. peppered with funding questions all the time. Mm -hmm. um, so I was reading on your recent round of funding and correct me if any of these numbers are wrong, um, but Sorry, my dog is just scratching on my door right now. <laughs> um, so first round, $2.3 million, um, or the most recent one, which brings you to 4.1. And first of all, congratulations. That is incredible to see um, that round come together. And um, I just wanted to highlight some of the NBA investors, because I'm a huge NBA fan. Go Raps. Um, so NBA inv investors include Kyle Kuzma, Derek Favors, and then more recently, Thaddeus Young. So a mm -hmm. bit of a two-parter here. How cool is it to be on this side of the equation with NBA players buying into your work? Because I know you're a huge basketball fan. 
And also, what do you make of this uh, round of funding and what are some key takeaways as much as you can talk about, of course? Totally. I mean, number one, it's still surreal. Like I, I normally have like a pinch me moment every month to think just like how you know blessed I am to be in the situation that I'm in based on the people that we have around us. And, you know, obviously those NBA players that you mentioned, like I, I've been playing 2K for so long, right? Like since 2K10. And I, I remember, you know, growing up, my favorite team was the Lakers. So when we had Kuzma come on, I was just blown away, right? Like I was just blown away. Like we got a Laker to come on um, as an investor in Truthen. And then obviously Derek had been a longtime player for the Jazz, right? And he's someone that I remember my my player mode in 2K13 or 2K14 went up against Derek. And I'm just like, this is surreal. Like I literally have him now as an investor, obviously have the ability to get his time as well and talk to him and to be able to run some ideas by him. It's, it's something I definitely don't take for granted. So number one, it's surreal. And then I think number two, you know, in terms of fundraising, I think there are two big things to consider. Like one, you know, you're seeing a lot of investments now being made by athletes, by celebrities. You know, just recently Drake, for example, invested in Wealth Simple when they did their $750 million round. They closed that a few days ago. Um, you've you've seen, you know, a bunch of like incredible athletes, LeBron James, for example, obviously going on a tirade of building his own empire and and funding tequila brands like Lobo 1707. So I think we live in a world where celebrities and athletes are starting to realize how cool nerdy entrepreneurs are. So if you are an entrepreneur, if you are something, someone building something, um, as long as you've built something of value, as long as you've built something that you are proud about and, and you know solves a very key issue that a lot of people face, um, I don't think it's actually as hard as it was before to get A-list celebrities or you know, to get athlete investors to come on. Um, the key thing, uh, you know, it comes down to is networking, right? And that's basically like the byproduct of fundraising. When, when, when we refer to fundraising, we should just probably call it networking, um, but it's networking for money. Um, and so when you take a look at the fundamentals of networking, like I said, the first thing is a warm intro always helps. How do you get a warm intro? Well, you take a look at the circle of people around that person you want to talk to and you go and reach out to them. How do you reach out to them? You interview them because interviewing them, like I mentioned on that post, is a great way of being able to meet people uh, and not take time away from them as much as give them something of value up front. And then the final thing that I think I'm particularly good at is following up with people that have introed me to people because I find that again, like when, when I'm introed by, you know, let's say David to Kyle, um, if I'm talking to Kyle and it goes well, a lot of people don't go back to David and update David on how that conversation went. But I try to do that just so that like people like David, for example, that are setting up intros for me, don't feel like I'm just climbing the social ladder and using them to get up in life. And that I'm trying to actually keep them in the loop and appreciate them and also give back to them in whatever way that I can. So those are the three key fundamentals to networking really. And it's not rocket science. It really just comes down to how do you leverage the online and offline tools at your disposal to meet the right people at the right time. And then to be able to present something that you are madly obsessed about that hopefully is solving a big problem. And it kind of comes full circle too. Um, when you uh, are doing this networking and, and you, well, I guess you could call it like high stake networking when it comes to like trying to <laughs> Yeah. Raise, raise money but um i just think that's yeah. so cool and i really like your way your explanation of it um and i think that's something that i've tried to 
get better at is my follow-up to that middle person because there are a lot of uh, mm-hmm. people that are willing to make that connection but then you know having the um, I guess attention to detail to come back and like let them know how it's going I'm definitely gonna try and get better at that but that's a really good tip um, yep and the best thing to do is just set reminders right like for me I use my email tool a superhuman so literally when I get an intro from someone, if I set up a call with the person they introed me to, I just quickly set a reminder to make sure that I get that email again and make it pop up in my inbox so that I have to go and respond to them in order to clear my inbox. You could do the same though in your Google calendar or whatever it is, just set a calendar invite from a month now and just say, update David on how the intro to Kyle went. And that's fine. You know, like I write to myself a lot. I text myself a lot. I write notes. I set calendar invites as reminders. Like, I try to keep things as organized as I can, sometimes to my own peril and sometimes to my own pain, but it works because again, like you value people and that's only the number one way again to network with people is by valuing them for their time. Um, And that goes beyond providing the money or anything like that. 100% valuing their time, valuing their energy and um, having meaningful conversations like you were saying before, so important. Yep, yep. Very cool. So um, how to really interesting well i had a really good like fun time doing research for this interview and like learning Mm -hmm. about your story learning about everything that you went through um and i thought this part was so cool so your debate partner Mm -hmm. turned business partner so my question for you is how important was that relationship with your debate partner who by the way sounds like an absolute genius um, (laughs) that led you to starting this wearable tech company in your second year at uft Yeah. I mean, it was incredible. Like we debated together in junior high when I was in grade seven and he was in grade nine. Um, And then we also debated in high school when I was in grade 10 and he was in grade 12. Um, And both times we went to nationals. Uh, We actually lost both times in the grand final, um, if you can believe it. Yeah. Both both times we lost in the grand final, never won sadly, but um, he's a genius. You know, he went off to Wharton to do a dual degree in life sciences and business. Um, and he, in high school, had also built literally a cure for cancer. Um, and he won the Sanofi Biogenius Challenge for a solution that had gold nanoparticles to target cancer cells. So he's a genius, um, but he was someone that I kind of re-collaborated with in my second year of college, asked him a bunch of questions around wearables, um, and was actually able to pick in mind and build something that we thought was revolutionary. And we were obviously able to license that product out. I was able to meet Trevor Booker from the Brooklyn Nets through that experience. And through that relationship, I was able to move to New York, work at a VC, and then kind of start on this tirade of building out Dunk with my former business partner, Elliot, who's my roommate and one of my good friends. And then obviously coming up with the idea for TrueFan seven, eight months later, and you know, being on this three, three and a half year journey, really. It's such a cool story. Um, yeah. and- I think this ties in really well to another question I have about the cities and the different places you've lived. Um, so for me, I grew up in a very small town. I'm here right now in Niagara, um, moved to Waterloo for school. And I right. felt like, and I, I literally say this in like every interview, it's so corny and cliche, but that was like the big city for me. I moved from 15,000 mm. to Waterloo, which is like a hundred and some odd thousand. And then I plan yep. to move to Toronto um, upon graduation, yep. which I'm super excited for. Um, yep. So for you, I knew I know you're born in Singapore, grew up in Alberta for a bit, went from Vancouver, Toronto, New York, like you just mentioned. So my yep. question is, you've lived in a few cities, you've also accomplished a ton at 23. So is there one or two cities, or I guess one city that really opened your eyes or changed the way you work? 
Yeah, I think Singapore for sure. Um, again, I lived there until I was like eight years old, but I've gone back ever since uh, quite regularly. And I think Singapore, the reason it taught me so much is I think it's honestly where my brother and I get our very like ultra competitive spirit. Um, and so both of us are very competitive about what we do. Um, both of us are also very competitive if we're ever in a game together, whether it's cricket or basketball or video games. Um, and I think we get that from Singapore because in Singapore, like right literally when you're in preschool, you're like academically tracked, right? You're, you're put into like, you know, the gifted stream and you're put into the average stream or whatever. Um, and it's, it's not the best system in my opinion. It's not a system that I advocate for, but it's definitely a system that led to me being kind of ultra competitive and wanting to get ahead. Um, and then I think Calgary too, like, I feel like Calgary gets a lot of shit from people in Canada, <laughs> uh, for being this like despicable, like cold place that's flat, but like Calgary is a great place. Like I actually find that like, it's a really cool, happy medium, I guess, between Toronto and Vancouver. Like it has a bit of nature while also having kind of an industrial feel to it. Um, and the people here are nice. Like they're, they're very welcoming. So I, I feel like kind of around empathy and kindness, like, I don't know, maybe some of my personality just come from the people that I met here. Maybe I was lucky to meet some great people here, but um, I've made some of my best friends here in Calgary. And I, I feel like that shaped my life a lot. Never been to Calgary. I've honestly have heard good things. I've heard some also not yeah. so great things, but for the most part, very good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Calgary Calgary is a good time, I think, to come out in like July when Calgary yeah. stampede stampede every everyone knows about stampede i feel um but again like i feel like edmonton is a far inferior place to calgary um i actually growing up always used to call edmonton deadmonton because <laughs> it's just such a lame city like there's nothing going on and again i'm really sorry you know if i run for politics in 15 years and i'm running out of the edmonton riding i'm so sorry but uh, I generally do not enjoy my experiences when I'm in Edmonton. <laughs> you give me a call when you're running and we'll take this down right away. Yeah, we'll, yes no. we'll like bleep it out. We'll bleep it out. We'll be like Winnipeg or something. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Um, so something also, I'm jumping all over the map, but I just, there's, you do so many things. So I've got a lot of questions mm -hmm. from a bunch of the different, um, I guess, like, alleyways that you've worked or done work in mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. so you had a conversation with gary v and this relates to mental health so in yep. 2017 you explained to him that you had some days where you find it really hard to get out of bed yep. and his answer i don't think was one that you necessarily loved but went on to no. discuss it later and he mm -hmm. talked about you're yep. probably not doing something that you're passionate about so yeah um i'm wondering how this dialogue has evolved in your life around mental health and it's super important right now everybody is definitely feeling some adverse mental health effects from being locked in um yeah so yeah just wondering what that dialogue looks like and what those conversations look like for you now totally no i mean like to start off with gary is someone that i uh think will always look up to he's great you know the fact that he gave me an opportunity to speak to him four years ago, really when I was, you know, nobody, I was just a first year student that I was looking for his time. Um, it spoke a lot, I think, to his character and going back to kind of community and engagement, I don't think anyone does it better than him. Um, so when I, when I got that answer, you know, obviously I disagreed with it later on um, and I didn't say anything at the time, but the reason I maybe disagreed with it is because I felt like it was a little bit too simple. It's too simple to think that if you find your passion in life, everything in life will be fine. Um, it's just the false narrative. I don't think it's something we should tell people because a, you know, finding your passion already, in my opinion, is a really shitty piece of advice. 
um, because it's it's very hard to do that. Um, like one, I find that a lot of people have multiple passions. Like I, I don't have one singular passion in life and my passions have constantly changed growing up and I think they continue uh, to do so. So it's very hard to boil it down to one. And then B, I, I feel like people, in my opinion, should prioritize what they're good at versus what they're passionate about. Like I'm passionate about basketball. It doesn't mean I'm going to be an NBA player, you know, like, like I just, I just feel like if people spent a lot more time, again, concentrating on what they're really good at, which I think Gary actually talks about to a certain degree in terms of focusing on your strengths and not your weaknesses. I think that would make the world a far happier and better place. But I also find that again, like there are days when, even when you're doing what you love, like I love what I do. I love, you know, building a business with my best friends. I love running a company that is providing the product that we do. I love ideating about new products. I'm very amped about this consumer product we have coming out near the end of the year. Um, even though I love what I do, there are definitely days where I feel tired. I feel bogged down. I don't want to get out of bed. And that's perfectly fine. It, it sometimes is indicative of maybe you're not treating yourself the best in terms of your physical and mental health. And there are also just days, man, where like you're a human being, you overwork and you got to reset. And that's just your body's way of telling you that you got to reset. So that those days still happen though. It isn't, you know, like I can't work 19 hours a day for two years straight and feel like I'm going to be fine just because it's my passion. That is not realistic. So I just think we need to have a little bit more of a realistic dialogue around kind of mental health and more importantly around finding your passion. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And I think you've done a good job of this through your, your uh, podcast interviews or just kind of advocating for mental health. And it's so true. Burnout is real, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> especially now when people, there's such a, a weird divide of, you know, trying to work so hard because we're at this disadvantage of working from home disadvantage. <laughs> Um, and just also being locked in. There's so many variables that play into mental health, physical health as well as a huge contributor. Um, yep. And it's something that I've been juggling and struggling with trying to figure out what is a good balance of my life. How do I want to mm -hmm. spend my time to, you know, make myself feel good? Um, yep. And it's, I really appreciate like yourself and other people on the internet that are opening up this conversation because mm -hmm. um, especially for men too, people are scared to talk about it. They're scared to talk about their issues, their struggles. Um, yep. So being able to have that conversation and again, LinkedIn's a great place for it, but just in general, um, I think it's super important and we're getting there to having more open dialogue on the internet and it's a slow, but steady process. It seems. I agree. I, I definitely agree. I think especially like I remember going to a, uh, a jack.org event when I was in my first year of college, this would have been 2015. And I just remember like looking at the stats in terms of, you know, suicide rates and also looking at the stats of people that had to get depression to now. I think the pandemic is definitely an outlier. Um, and I, I don't think people foresaw the pandemic coming up. Um, but generally speaking, the amount of conversations every single year around mental health on Twitter have increased. The amount of conversations by A-list celebrities around mental health has increased. So I feel like this is, again, an inroad into the stigma going away. And I'm hoping we get to a point where people that say they are seeing a therapist aren't like, you know, have an audience that's just like weirded out by it. I hope we get to the point where like having therapists is a flex. Like, yes, you're freaking dope that you can afford a therapist and you can go and see someone like that. Um, that's the world that I really want to live in, hopefully, down the road. And I hope we can get there, too. Um, I feel like a lot of people yeah. associate... Um, sorry if my mic's acting a little weird. Um, I think a lot of people associate like getting a therapist or getting help with 
kind of a reactive situation, like something crazy, sad mm-hmm. happens in your life. Mm-hmm. You have issues, mm-hmm. you go see a therapist, whereas it can be a proactive thing. Maybe you're feeling okay, but you know that, you know, life gets hard. Adulthood is scary, man. Like going yep. out there yep. into the world and trying to figure out your life is, is a daunting thing. So just getting help and getting yep. the resources you need is, is so important. So keep on having the conversation. Yeah, Totally. And I'll add one more thing there too as well, and that I find it to be a double standard as well, because when you go and see a therapist, you know, people are a little maybe maybe weirded out by it, right? They're like, whoa, that's a little bit weird. And they're they're sketched out a little bit by it. Um, again, I'm not saying this for all people, I don't want to generalize, but there's still a stigma around seeing a therapist. Even today, I see it in in you know various places on the internet and also in person. But I find it weird that growing up, we are encouraged to ask for help and to put up our hand and to ask questions. And yet, you know, when we go and, you know, admit to ourselves that we need to talk to someone, we're then demeaned for it. So I guess it's just a double standard that I don't understand. In my opinion, people who go and see a therapist are some of the strongest people on the planet, because to be able to come to terms with the fact that you have a weakness that you want to solve, or that you have insecurity that you want to talk about, where you have an experience that you need a bit more explanation on and that you don't have all the answers to admit that is an incredibly strong feeling to have. And it's, it's something that I feel like more people should have because those are the types of people that I at least want to be around transparent, honest uh, people of integrity. Absolutely. And I think, I definitely do think the tide is turning and Mm -hmm. hopefully we see in the coming years that, you know, this conversation and, and going to therapists and getting help is, is normalized. And I I honestly do think we'll get there. It's just, it's going to take time like most things, right? Agreed. So I think we will kind of come to the end of this program. And what I'd like to do is a lightning round. So I'll just fire (laughs) off some questions to you. All right. Um, Some of them might not be so lightning. Some of them are, (laughs) might make you think, Um, but just wanted to fire some off to you and uh, get your two cents. So, um, first question, do you get starstruck? And if so, who was the biggest person, uh, that, you know, gave you that feeling? Uh, I do get starstruck. I don't know if you'd know this person, but there's a Bollywood actor called Akshay Kumar. He is one of the biggest Bollywood actors in the world. And I was on a plane from Mumbai to London with him. And when he got off the plane in London, people were swarming him. And just to like even be able to look at him, I was just like blown away. Cause this is a guy that like, he's mainly a comedic actor. He had made me laugh. He had made my mom laugh. He'd made my brother laugh for like years on years. So I think that would probably be like the first experience that popped up in my head of someone that like got me really starstruck. So cool. Back when we could travel, it's a throwback. Yeah. <laughs> yes, planes. Yeah, they, they, remember when we, we had planes? Yeah. <laughs> that was a thing. For sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, next one. Who have you got as NBA champs this year? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, I go back and forth, but I think I'd have to say the Lakers. Um, it's between the Lakers and and uh, the 76ers for me. I, I just don't know. I, no I, Nets? I, no. No, oh no. man, the that, Lakers that's are looking even, shaky. That I mean, I just think you can't ever bet against LeBron. Like, I just feel like you know, if I had like two buttons and one won me a ten thousand dollars for betting on LeBron, and one like with like you lose ten thousand, you win ten thousand dollars if you bet against him, I'm obviously gonna pick going for LeBron. Um, so yeah, like that's just one thing to notice. Like, playoff LeBron is a different specimen. I feel like the way he leads this team is so inspiring, and like just incredible 
Um, and I think that Lakers team has a lot of firepower. I feel like the Nets do for sure, but like, I just don't know if they have that type of leadership that like LeBron commands over his team. Like you also have a bunch of injury issues for the Nets as well. So who knows? Yeah. A bunch of injury issues, ego issues. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah it, it'll be interesting. No, I agree it'll though. I, yeah. I think LeBron is, is a next level human being when it comes to the playoffs and that'll be exciting. I do. You might go. He's the goat. You can't go against the goat. <laughs> I know he is. He is. Yeah. I just, I love KD and my friends and I always joke about it. Like KD is my goat. Cause he's like the most lethal scorer of all time. Yep. Um, yep. 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 That might, might be a hot take. Yeah. I don't know, but <laughs> no, no, he is, he is. He absolutely, he's been like a what scoring champion three years, four years, something like that, man. I remember when he came back and he was injured and against the Raptors. Remember when he came back? Oh my god! Like two years ago, or whatever, and he's torching us until he got injured again. It was like, oh my god! Like, thought we were gonna lose that series. (laughs) That was terrifying. And I remember it was it was actually pretty savage. I was in like an outdoor viewing area in Waterloo, and um, it's when Katie like it was the terrible injury. It was the Achilles like rippling up his leg. It was horrific. But like. And I hate to say it, but like a sense of relief, but also like, I'm so sorry for this guy. Like, oh my gosh. But yeah. it gave us like a little glimmer of, of hope. Hope. Yeah, <laughs> literally a little glimmer of hope, honestly. Word. <laughs> oh my yeah. goodness. Okay, this actually transitions nice. Uh, to Toronto, what is your favorite food spot in Toronto? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, Tironi, probably. Like, especially based on what I Uber eats the most. Tironi, Adelaide, for sure. Dude, I've I've been so i i love visiting toronto i've never lived there and toronto's actually yeah. one of the like only three places i've eaten and it is amazing <laughs> it's amazing well you've done it like you don't need to eat anywhere else don't worry yeah i'm good i've checked it off now you checked awesome. it <laughs> uh let's see here top three hip-hop artists right now it doesn't have to be all time uh travis scott drake um little baby nice yeah love it um this one's an all-timer what is your favorite album of all time graduation yeah nice. that was the first album i actually ever bought too uh and kanye was like living hero when i was growing up like my brother and i were obsessed about Kanye. same here man i'm uh yeah. back when we were in normal times i'm a huge fan of live concerts mm. so i actually went to see kanye um at the no st- yeah saint pablo tour that's epic and it was when yeah. he had the floating stage. It was insane. Stage and he was on top of it. Yeah. <laughs> so cool, I, I remember man. watching the opening for that. I forgot what song he played in the opening, but it was unreal. Unreal. I forgot what song it was, but there was like chimes. Like it was like Jesus has arrived, basically. Yeah. It was like the grand awakening. <laughs> God like feeling. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I remember he was super late to that concert. It was me and my buddy. And before right. I know what you're talking, I can't remember the song either, but I know what you're talking about with the intro. There was like yeah. this like reverberation or like vibration that like rippled around the arena. I was like, what is going on? Here? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was yeah. so cool. Yeah. 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 I love it. <laughs> um, okay. So last question for you, Swish. Um, one message to all the young people, all the students that are working or studying through this pandemic. What's uh, something you've got to say for them? Oh uh, yeah, I think two things. One is keep your keep your head down. You know, like there's a lot of noise in the world, and I feel like there are a lot of stories that can put you down. Like I remember growing up, I used to read a lot of TechCrunch articles, and I used to feel super demotivated reading them because it'd be like this 16 year old prodigy has raised eight million dollars for their Uber for Squirrels model, and I'm like, what the hell is happening? Um, 
so again, like I just feel like it's important to not compare kind of your chapter one to someone else's chapter 20. I've said that before. I think it's very important to just know that like, you know, comparing yourself to other people on social media is never a good thing and it's not going to ever lead to any good things either. So just keep your head down, focus on your own journey, focus on your own skills, focus on your own life. Um, and I genuinely think that's the best way to succeed uh, and to also feel happy. Um, and then the second thing is, you know, constantly give back. Um, I find that especially in the tech world, a lot of people only give back after they've exited, you know, and they have a lot of money and they're rich. Um, I don't think we need to live in a world like that. I think you can live in a world where even as you're rising and you're becoming wealthier, um, you can give back and giving back takes multiple forms, right? It doesn't just mean donating money. It could mean, you know, finding one or two causes that you're really passionate about and speaking out about them, uh, interviewing people, spotlighting people that are doing great things about those issues. Um, and also constantly being a resource to people around you and making sure that, you know, you're always there to help them regardless of what they need, obviously to a certain extent, but you obviously want to be able to make sure that you're accessible to people if they need you. So those are kind of just maybe two tidbits that I'd pass on. Oh, that's super valuable. Um, so that comes, or that brings the podcast to a close. I just want to once again say, Swish, thank you so much for taking the time. I think there are a ton of valuable insights, um, tidbits of advice, uh, just cool experts are excerpts from your uh experts yeah Yeah, lots of experts (laughs) cool Um, experts (laughs) um just yeah man no thank you so much again and i think there's a lot of really cool takeaways that we can grab from this so um once again swish thank you so much for coming on the pod thank you thank you really appreciate it this is super fun